Welcome to Voice for Choice podcast, the podcast that focuses on China issues with special attention to the Central and Eastern European perspective. I'm your host, Karani Mečková. Here to discuss the recently unveiled European Economic Security Package is Tobias Gerke, Senior Policy Fellow at the European Council on Foreign Relations. Hello and welcome. Hi, Gara. Thanks for having me. Um, how would you assess the package? Is it roughly what you expected? I'd say it's a, a bit disappointing. Um, it's, of course, a follow-up to the strategy um, that was released by the Commission last June. And I think the strategy last year was really quite bold, had a quite bold and, and big vision for how Europe's economy needs to uh, assess risk and change. Now the follow-up, I think, is a bit sobering because the focus has really narrowed quite significantly. The focus is now very much on critical technologies, particularly on whether they leak or not and how we stop them leaking abroad. So it's an important issue, but I think it really skirts the wider agenda um, that maybe the von der Leyen Commission had in, had in store last year of how we really shore up Europe's geoeconomic capabilities, which means how we maintain a strong innovation leadership and how we translate that into, into industrial production, in sectors that really matter for Europe's geopolitical future, clean energy technologies, and so on. And and that's not really part of the package anymore. Um, and unfortunately, yeah, it reads a little bit just like, a, oh, let's look at some very, very specific risks and look how we mitigate them. One reason for that, I think, is politics. I think the EU elections that are coming up now are one big reason. Um, there needs to be a renewal of a, some sort of mandate to see how far commission can go but also member states i think looking at the u.s elections in particular plays a role because um, there's a bit of a wait and see perhaps of where things are moving uh, across the pond and i think the, the, the sort of the mood is not to go too far now on this agenda without really knowing what's going to happen uh, later this year Let's have a look at the specific uh, initiatives. Most of the package is non-binding legislation. There is one uh, legislative proposal, which is a reform of the 2019 uh, FDI screening regulation. So what specific measures uh, does the Commission seek to adopt to harmonize the approach of the member states to this issue? Yeah, the, the update or the form of the FDI screening regulation is the most concrete out of all of the items um, in this in this package, um, I think it's you know it's a there has been a an assessment of the lessons learned, uh, what kind of loopholes we have had in FDI screening, and the Commission has you know, assessed them and now says, well, let's close some of these loopholes. Um, the biggest loophole is of course that still not all member states have FDI screening uh, nationally. Currently, it's 22. Um, so, I think, yeah, that's the big, the big one to close. So, the Commission now suggests that it should become mandatory. It should become an obligatory for for member states to actually go about this. Um, so, that's the big one. And then, some other suggestions in this regulation are, yeah, some other alignment of 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 standards of screening standards so the commission suggests that well you know all member states should take certain risk factors into account and um, it did say that also before but they were really broad and so the member states could kind of do what they want um, 
Uh, there's also some stuff on how to notify other member states. So there's more, you know, more focus on how they communicate with one another, can give themselves feedback and so on. And there's an expansion of the scope of what the commission says should be a critical asset that is worth protecting. So the commission already, or the, the regulation already before had these projects of common European interests, things that are, for example, financed by Horizon, but it wants to expand this a little bit. And then it also says, well, you know, we have to look at this list of critical technologies that we have here, these 10, these 10 te- critical technologies. They're actually critical, and we should also really think about them when we do FDI screening. And it also says we learn from COVID and so on. So medical goods and financial assets, you know, really look at those also because there's, those are also critical. But so it's, it's good. I think good elements in there. But but uh, of course, they are mostly recommendations and uh, to member states. The proposal also extends the scope of investment screening to investors that are established within the EU, but that are controlled by a foreign entity. Is that the part of the legislation where we expect a backlash? I, it could be. I'm, I have to tell you, I'm not entirely sure whether this will be the, the controversial one. Um, generally, some elements have been, I think, controversial already in the lead up. You know, There was all sorts of political gesturing just ahead of the release of this package. Um, some, you know, the Hungarian trade minister, for example, was quite um, outspoken in the newspapers saying that whatever the commission is proposing here is protectionist and um, and should not fly. Um, so, yes, this could this could be, you know, very much looked closely at by member states. The other one is um, Greenfield. Uh, FDI, where the greenfield FDI should also be part of the of, of screening, um, and I think here you already see that some member states managed to push back against this because I think in parts of the Commission they wanted to include this as a mandatory screening. Um, in the end, now in the current form, it's a suggestion, um, um, and so we have to see how that goes. And you know, of course, you know that particular risky FDI perhaps from China is shifting very much into greenfield FDI. It's now actually bigger than uh, than than brownfield FDI. So it is a, an important technicality, but we'll see how that goes. Um, moving on to the next uh, agenda item, uh, and quite a delicate one, uh, outbound investment screening. Uh, with regard to this, uh, the package remains relatively sober. The strategy calls for a risk assessment through a public consultation process. So what are going to be the next steps? And uh, is it realistic that this instrument will ever see the light of day? Yeah, that's such a difficult one. Um, we won't, I, I don't know if we will ever see the day and... It won't depend on this risk assessment, I think. <laughs> it would, what it really would depend on is politics. Um, mostly the politics, I think, in the United States and, and China, perhaps. So for now, it's clear that um, member states and businesses are, businesses in particular, are very um, opposed to any of these measures. Member states, many have clearly uh, said that we lack, the commission lacks evidence of what the exact risks are. And so there needs to be more evidence. I think that's half true. 
I think there is some evidence, even public evidence, you know, I don't have to be an intelligence officer to see that there is some public evidence that there are risky investments in uh, joint in China in particular, in JVs, in research and development centers and so on. So there's lots of information out there. And the other element is that we we know, I think, also fairly that our current tools could might not be enough for this. So the business sector in particular is pushing the idea that you know, we have export controls and they can capture all of this, which I think um, is also a question. But the general mood is, I think, that there is, of course, a risk, but we don't know uh, if if an intervention with such an instrument would actually help us um, you know, mitigate this risk or just have much bigger unintended consequences. So for now, it's kicked into this long, long bureaucratic process, a public consultation for 12 months, and out of this... The commission will draw together all sorts of national reports into its report. And then potentially it will, uh, in you know one and a half years, say we need something or we don't need something. But by that time, of course, you know the world will be such a different one. We'll have new European elections um, that might weaken or might strengthen this portfolio. I am rather on the lat- uh, rather on the former, I think. And of course, the US elections, which um, if there is a Trump uh, presidency, I think um, uh, this could have a very different implication than a Biden presidency. Um, if there's you know, trade tensions and so on, Europeans might be not too keen to work with the Americans on this file. So there's a lot of eventualities. For now, it's kicked into the bureaucratic long grass. Um, you mentioned export controls. Um, the strategy is also looking at that, uh, trying to improve the coordination of export control for dual use. Do you think the proposal is enough to avoid the type of scenario that we saw, for example, with the Dutch decision to implement export controls on DUV machines uh, under the pressure from the US? On this specific example, no, it's not enough. For sure not. Um but having said that, I think you know it's a it's a decent step at least to have this political coordination. It is something that's missing. Export controls are not uh, discussed regularly at this level, um, at a more political level. It's a very technical conversations often at the European level. So it is um, it, it is a sort of a fair um, element that the Commission suggests here, but. At the end of the day, of course, controls remain national. And that's despite that we now know, of course, that many of these really critical deep tech ecosystems are completely European. Right? The semiconductor example has also shown how European it is with critical suppliers running all across Europe. Um, you know, uh, ASML's supply network is is it's very European, half of it is European. Um, and so, you know, not treating these industries and these ecosystems in a European way as a European critical uh, industry is, yeah, w- without that, I think we will never really arrive there. Now, yeah, I think what you need to arrive is the, the sort of the end goal would have been, I think what the commission maybe wanted to do, put it like this, is to say, Certain industries and certain ecosystems are vital European interests, and hence we need a European law for this. Uh, Not for all export controls, but for these very vital ones. 
And in a way, that's what the commission is doing for FDI screening, right? It says, well, we have these critical European assets, and here we have different screening uh, rules that need to apply. The commission has more power in those. And I think, you know, in a way, that's how the commission maybe wanted to do it. But it, from what I can tell, it didn't succeed at all because member states were not having any of it. Um, and to, your, to the other part of the question, sort of, would we be able to push back against um, foreign pressure? Um, I don't know. I think, I, I'm not sure, because you have basically, you would need to invoke something like the anti-coercion instruments, no? Instrument. Um, the United States is now extraterritorially applying its export control laws on a European company that has no U.S. input in it. Um, you know, and so you're in a conversation very quickly that is about coercion, but politically, there's in the end of the day, it's a political discussion and um, politically at the current moment, we would not push back, maybe also for good reason. There are other geopolitical interests at play over Ukraine and transatlantic cooperation more broadly. Bottom line is, no, it would not um, be enough in that uh, instance. <laughs> The strategy also aims to address resource security, uh, quite a new topic for the Commission to tackle. However, there's uh, little that can be done at the EU level, uh, given that the competencies are spread among national, subnational and even institutional levels in the member states. It does, however, envision the establishment of a European Centre of Expertise on Research Security as a focal point. What should be the role of this new institution? Oh, that's a good question. I, I'm, yeah, the, the main issue in research institutions is almost like with industry, because it is an industry. I think many of them have concerns about the level playing field, that different institutions apply different standards, and that can be a, a huge disadvantage, or it can be a huge cost, because we don't have the same sort of risk analysis standards, or different forms, and all this sort of stuff. So I think you know, the minimum would be this development of common uh, standards, how research institutions should assess their exposure. Um, now, research institutions are doing that. They're doing, they're also developing st standards for themselves. You know, there's different uh, international and European formats where they're trying to do this. Another one that is with more input also from governments, perhaps, where where this exchange and this finding of common methodologies and analyses and, and factors, I think, it, yeah, it, it can only be um, good. But it's a highly complex one, as you, as you just said, because it has, it plays on so many different levels and and it's um, these sort of unintended consequences of over-regulation and so on, I think, are also much more difficult to understand perhaps than with other industries or supply chains. So that makes it a diff diff difficult one. But um, not the first time the Commission is dabbling in this. I think in the past, the Commission has also provided guidelines and white papers for European academia and, and, and companies engaged in commercial R&D. But this is now more of a concerted effort, I think, and have a clear linking it to a clear risk analysis in the strategy. And there's more urgency and, and perhaps more data, uh, hopefully. Um, so, yeah, I think it's um, a necessary step. We touched upon a number of issues that have been covered by the new package, but what are uh, the ones that should have been included, according to you? 
Um, what is missing in this proposal? Oh, for sure, the promote side. I think, um, yeah, I think the key is really that we need to focus on making sure we remain innovation leaders and that innovation is translated into also um, a minimum level of production capabilities because these two go hand in hand. We don't need to produce everything in Europe, but there are there is a certain symbiosis. And that featured very prominently, I think, um, in last year's strategy. Now it's really quite specific about uh, restrictive tools, um, tinkering with them at the edges. And yeah, we're missing a clear um, ambition of how we really want to get money, both public, but of course also private money into these ecosystems, into these industries that we want to not lose out. Um, and yeah, unfortunately here, we're running into the whole issue of a common European industrial policy that is stranding in many in many regards. Um, and it has unfortunately been a bit separated from this economic security debate now. Um, and it's part of a wider competitiveness agenda elsewhere. And this kind of conceptual separation, I think, is unfortunate. And I hope a next package will focus much more on on that side of the story and manages to link the export controls together with the industrial policy because this kind of linkage is uh, is really underdeveloped so far at least um, in this in this kind of package some experts suggest that the solution to this um separation of the two concepts could be the introduction of a new uh, commissioner portfolio, which would specifically look at the economic security agenda. Do you think that's a good idea? Um, I think, yeah, yes. Whether this specific idea is the winner, I don't know. But um, the fact that it comes back to this question of architecture, how do we deal with these topics at the EU level? Um, not only the commission level, by the way. Um, so yes, the commission is important. How these different director generals speak to one another and and who holds certain files. But there's equally a big question at the member state level in the, in the council in Brussels. Um, how do you bring them together and what kind of formations that they can speak about these things more structurally? And Today, still, I think many of these conversations are yeah, locked up in the traditional council groups, you know, the trade people and the foreign policy people and the, and the security people and so on. And so, yeah, it's a bit of the, the boring kind of Brussels uh, bureaucracy game, but I, there is a lot um, that, that there, there are a lot of puzzles that need to be solved on that side. And commissioner is perhaps one piece of the puzzle, perhaps, perhaps not. But yeah, this architecture, um, as I said, at the commission level between the member states. And the third piece of the puzzle is the cooperation between governments or the commission and the private sector, because uh, a lot of these initiatives depend very much on the private sector being on board and cooperating actively, um, sharing more information. And that requires a different kind of cooperation that is more two-directional and not just uh, sort of, you know, companies being called in to share some of their data whenever it's useful in that moment. It needs to be a more serious um, setup of how the governments can can work on 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 these 
different risks that the commission identified with the private sector more structurally. But I should say that, yes, there is now this cooperation happening in this risk assessment. So there is the conversations are happening. I think what's important will be how do we extend them? What can we, when they're done now in March, I think, or May, uh, how do we build on that? How do we build a more lasting structure that can allow us to do analysis and uh, of supply chains and technologies and industries, um, not just a one-off, but more lastingly. That's that's the next task, I think. Well, thank you so much for your analysis and for joining me today. Thank you for having me. This was Voice for Choice. If you would like to know more about our work, please do visit our website at chinaobservers.eu. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn. We hope you'll make the right choice and tune in for the next episode of Voice for Choice.